welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Dear friends, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, even on this Good Friday, though I feel sorrow, I still pray for joy. If all I do is remain in the punishment or the guilt of my sin, I haven't done the true process of repentance. For repentance is coming out on the other side, knowing that I'm forgiven, knowing that though you died, you were glad to do it. Let me live in that peace today and bless me as I hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, on this Good Friday. You know, it's hard to not associate Good Friday with pain. With pain. And by the way, if you're joining us just again, or if you're wondering why is the atmosphere a little different at Amazing Love, this is about, again, as quiet, as reflective, as somber as we are going to get. But it is hard to not associate Good Friday with pain. And one of the things we learn about pain, start out with a big idea, is this, that pain makes us look inward. Consider two playground kids. Consider the kids that run into each other and they both knock heads and fall to the floor. Now when those kids are lying on the floor and crying, you don't ask the one kid who's crying, how do you think the other kid is doing? The kid doesn't wonder how the other kid is doing. The only time they consider the state of the other kid is when the pain has gone away, if they ever think about it at all. Not so different with adults. Let's consider someone who's on their hospital bed. Let's consider someone who just had a stroke or a heart attack. You don't ask that person, well, how's your wife doing? You don't ask them, how's the job going? Because they don't even consider those things. The pain is making them look inward. And until the pain is gone, they can't look at anything else. Remember when this happened to me. Worst pain in my life was about fifth grade. I was riding my bicycle with a friend. We had a bike race going on. And they had recently redone one of our roads nearby the house. Now back in my day, to redo the roads meant they just threw some gravel and tar out. And the roads were eventually going to you know, catch up and get smoothed over. And so there was just fresh tar and gravel on these roads we were racing. Well, well I, I, I sprint. I go for it. All out, right? Totally biff. Get, get gravel and tar all up in my knee. I go to the doctor, he has to cut it open, he has to take the gravel and tar out of my knee, and I just remember wailing like a baby. Now, if someone asked me, you know, how is your mom doing? If someone asked me, don't, don't, you, don't you think you should stop crying because she's getting concerned? I wouldn't have had the, the ability to care about anything else because that was just excruciating. Don't ask me how my mom's doing. I don't care what the doctors or the nurses think. I'm just in pain. Because pain makes you look inward. 
And sometimes we can have a series of difficulties, we can have a series of hardships or pain where we even tell ourselves, you know what, I have been pushed past the point. I, I don't care anymore, I've had enough. And, and at this point, if you've ever said it internally, if you can relate to what I'm saying, you don't care what other people think about you. You don't care um, how the job is going. You're just trying to self-preserve because you've gone through a series of things and it's tough. Now, one of the things that happens is we can cope very difficultly and very badly with pain. And, and there's even a principle associated with a bad way of coping with pain. Uh, th there's a phrase, and maybe you've heard it before. It's this. It's that hurt people hurt people. You ever, you ever hear that? Anyone hear that before? Hurt people hurt people? This is what it is. It's, it's, it's that, that boss who wakes up and is totally crabby, and he's not content until everyone else around him's crabby too because that's how he's feeling. If he's hurting, everyone else is going to hurt, baby. It's that person who felt attacked, and the only way they could get past the attack is to attack back and zing it back or call it back. This principle, I believe, is going on a little bit more. Would you uh, put up with a few speculations of mine? These are just a few speculations. Um, the, the first speculation has to deal with the Chicago White Sox. Now, I have to tread carefully here because I'm not a Sox fan, but go Sox. But did you hear of Adam LaRoche? Now, again, I'm speculating over the dude. The, the, the dude was told that his kid could no longer come to the clubhouse as he was playing baseball. And so the dude who was approaching retirement says, I know what I'm going to do, and you probably know the end of the story. I will retire early. And I'm not sure exactly the story. Please forgive my speculation. But is it possible that hurt people hurt people? I think it is. Or consider political candidates, which I will try to tread lightly with, but it's pretty hard to do. When someone feels attacked because his wife was called to the forefront in an unflattering manner, maybe it is possible that a bad reaction happens to the wife of the other political candidate because hurt people hurt people. In fact, something that can really give you a lens into how people are reacting, and maybe you've been upset because someone hurt you, sometimes it's even this idea of projection. Do you know what projection is? Projection is the worst. Projection is this idea that they hurt you not because of the way you hurt them, but because of someone else who hurt them, and, and because that someone else is no longer there, they hurt the one in front of you, which happens to be though you didn't hurt them, and that's projection because hurt people hurt people. Now this is all too common. And now I want to switch your lens to the, the point of Jesus' passion. Let's switch to his story now. Jesus is at the height of his passion. There doesn't get any more intense pain than what Jesus is about to go through. You see, the Greeks, they thought up the cross. The Greeks created this idea of crucifixion, but it was the Romans who perfected it. And whether you're wearing a cross today, whether you have a tattoo of a cross or have earrings of a cross, what you need to know is that is a torture device. It's like wearing a noose. It's like wearing an electric chair. Uh, it is the worst way to die that the Romans here have perfected. Where we meet Jesus in his passion is after he has been betrayed by someone he discipled. We meet him after he was falsely accused. We meet him after he was denied three times by the dude he warned would do it. 
We meet him after he's flogged. About flogging, many people would die just from the severity of flogging, of basically being skinned alive. And this is where we meet Jesus, right before the crucifixion, and we see where he's at. Will he look inward or will he stay focused outward? Let's pick up our lesson. Luke 23, I invite you to follow along there. It says, A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, Cover us. For the people do these things when the tree is dream. What will, green. What will happen when it is dry? Now what we see here is a foreshadowing of the destruction of Jerusalem, which was going to happen in the first century. And that's going to be so bad for the people in Jerusalem that again, under siege, uh, I don't want to describe what's going to happen to children. I'm not going to describe what's happening to women, but it's going to get bad for them. But the point is, even at the height of the intensity of his pain, he's still saying, don't cry for me, because I care for you. But it goes on. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This to the people who was nailing him to the cross. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now what do we see in the actions of Jesus? At the height of his intensity, he still cares for the women who were weeping. At the height of the intensity of his pain, he still cares for the soldiers who were nailing him to the cross. When the intensity of the pain was the worst, he still was on a mission to save a soul who said, remember me. We know later he would still remember his mother named Mary and say, I'm going to take care of you too. As I'm dying in the intensity of my pain, you're going to go live with John. See, Jesus always was caring, and that's what we want to talk about this Good Friday. May God bless our discussion. You with me? Still here? You probably heard about Brussels. And the thing is, Brussels has happened before. We just called it Paris. And the thing is, Paris has happened before. It was called 9 11. And I wonder, how do you process a Brussels? How do we make sense of the fact that there were bombings for innocent people based on terrorist attacks where 31 people lost their lives and 300 people were wounded? What do people do when they're processing Brussels? Here's what I observe theology comes to the forefront of many people's minds. People who are irreligious or really don't care God's perspective now try to think from God's lens. And what they usually land on is some idea of cosmic unfairness. 
What they land on is this idea that these were not militia, these were not fighters, these were innocent people who were taken by acts of terror, and if there is a God of love, how is the God of love still in power while this is happening? This is unfair. But Brussels, Paris, 9-11, they're only representative of something we all experience. And my question to you is, what is your Brussels? We all got it, and I don't need to know. But here's what I do know, even if I don't know you very well. At one point or another, you have wrestled with this idea of fairness with God. At one point or another, you have questioned whether he's getting it all right. You have wondered, why am I getting what I do not deserve? Hold that thought. What is your Brussels? Hold that thought and then look at our lesson once again. One of the verses that just totally struck me as I was translating was verse 33. Verse 33, I invite you to follow along. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, They crucified him, which is Jesus, along with the criminals. And what stood out on the page to me was that Jesus, him, was right next to criminals. Those who had done what was wrong. Those who had done something so wrong, it deserved crucifixion. Jesus, who I know is the sinless Son of God, the innocent one, is now in the same lot as criminals. What I also hear is what the old criminal knows. The thief next to him says in verse 41, I invite you to look there, there it says, we are punished justly. He knew what he did. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. The pages of Scripture, the Word of our God confirms exactly what the thief has said. And surely we have a sinless one who is dying unjustly who is only being crucified because the court was so corrupt. And I would speak to you about unfairness. And I want you on this Good Friday to be real with the fact that Good Friday is a story about the height of unfairness. For look at it from the parents' perspective. I know there are some parents in the room How many of you parents would say, I'm going to sign up for my son or daughter to not only suffer, but be tortured and give their life for those who hate me? How many of you would say that is justice? How many of you would be okay? I don't even like it when my kid gets in trouble and they didn't start the fight, they just reacted. I don't know about you. This would be a tough deal to say, I'm going to give my kid over to suffer in the worst way possible, even though I know he didn't do it for people who hate me. That's injustice. Consider it from Jesus' point of view. Jesus who knows that he is completely acquitted. Jesus who knows he is completely innocent, who signs up and says, yes, I will bear your cross. Yes, I will take your place. Put me in. I saw a great quote this past week from R.C. Sproul, a great theologian who said this. He said, only once did a bad thing happen to a good person. You, you know the people who are upset, I'm a good person and bad things happen. R.C. Sproul, he got it right. He said, only once did a bad thing happen to a good person, and it wasn't in Brussels. And it wasn't your Brussels, and it wasn't my Brussels. 
Because the reality is, because of our sin, we got to be straight with sin today. If there's any day to be straight with sin, I am not a good person. And you are not a good person. And we are not saved because we are good, my friends. There was one who was good who signed up to take our place, and he raised his hand for it. Now, I have volunteered for many things. I've cleaned up a fire department. I went on mission trips, but I haven't come close to what Jesus is signing up for. Do you see where I'm going yet with unfairness? Does Jesus, as we Americans wrestle with unfairness, well, it wasn't the why I wanted to vote for it. It's not how I wanted to. Does he know anything about unfairness? This is the point, my friends. That the gospel which saves us is the height of unfairness. We have come to see a complete injustice. The perfect dying for the imperfect. We have come to see that the gospel which saves us is not fair at all if you understand it and view it correctly. And yet, and yet, he does it gladly. For us who would shake our fists at him and say, what are you doing? He would say, this is what I'm doing. What's your beef now? What's your problem now? Have you seen my problem? This is what I'm doing for you. And he was glad to do it. I can't believe it. I can't relate to it. There's nothing else to describe this but other than amazing love that a father would send his son that a son would give his life, and yet he did it. So a point. As we deal with unfairness, as you're dealing and trying to live in the reality of what this gospel is, process it through his own unfairness. Don't, don't look at the situation in Brussels before you looked at the situation of the cross to see whether or not the world is unfair. It was unfair. It always has been unfair. Since the Garden of Eden, it's been unfair. But the gospel's unfairness trumps it all. The gospel's unfairness gives justice to the unjust, gives perfection, gives cleansing for all of our sins. This is what our God has done for us. But there's more to consider on this Good Friday. Let me get my notes. As we continue to observe people and observe what it is to deal with people, may this be what is driving us to understand that what Jesus did for us is now what we have the opportunity to do for one another. You see, some of us are hung up on, based on the way people treat us based on how unfair it was and what we didn't deserve. And let's just be real. Yeah, you didn't deserve to be treated that way. And what they did was unfair. Same with the cross. But because Jesus died our death, we are empowered to live for others and to be unfair in a good way for the sake of others. You know, sometimes I wonder if God gives us a taste of unfairness with others so that we can appreciate the gospel of Good Friday even more? Is it possible He just lets it touch our tongue, this unfairness issue, 
so that when we come to him, we know the full reality was met in him. And maybe it just causes us to drop on our knees and say, I can't believe you would ever do that for me, my God. This is the opportunity that Good Friday affords. Another thing that we should be real with on this Good Friday is this principle. It was I who hurt Jesus. The lyrics of the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, they got it right. It said, it was my sin that held him there. You see, what we have on Good Friday is an understanding of the weight of sin. What we have on Good Friday is an understanding of the price of forgiveness. For there we see the true price for pride. There we see the true price for lust. There we see the price for greed, for envy. There we see the price for dishonor. There we see the the, the price for all of our sins which, which, which break our hearts and, and broke the heart of God. There we see it. And today is the day to stare, to stare sin straight in the face and say, I despise you, sin. I hate you, sin. I hate that you would do this to my Jesus, the innocent one, that he would have to take my place. Today is the day to be real with that and be done with sin. I don't want to live in it anymore. Not if you did that to Jesus. What we need to be real with is that the worst person standing in the room, it is me. And it is you. We all were guilty for hurting Jesus. But here was his response. Though I hurt him, he healed me. And his attitude was not like, oh man, I have to cover your sorry self. I can't believe I have to do this. Do you understand that before the world was born, he knew what was going to happen and he planned our salvation? Do you know as baby Jesus is put in a crib, he knows what the crib leads to, which is a cross? Do you know that he realizes this is the pinnacle of his 33 years on earth and yet he signed up to do it? And you know why? We named our church after it. I know I've been serious with sin. I just kind of went off. But you know why he did it? Because he loved you. And I'm just saying, if he loved me enough to bear my cross, do you think he could love me and he could love you in 2016? Do you think so? Do you think he could protect me in 2016 if what happens in Brussels comes here? Do you think he could love me for the rest of my life? I'm here to say amen and amen. In fact, this is what Paul picked up upon. He said if God wouldn't spare his only son, then guess the glorious ramifications. He said so that I'm convinced if he wouldn't spare his son, then neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor my sins in the present, past, or future, uh, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, we are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If he he didn't stop caring on his way to the cross. He hasn't stopped caring in 2016. He calls you his child. He holds you in his palm of his hand and he's not going away. This is the God we celebrate. And this is the God who makes Good Friday good. Who never gave up on me. Now at this point I realize I haven't talked a lot about leadership. 
So for all you leaders in the building, we have some things to glean real quick from Good Friday, but hopefully you're okay that I just went through his passion a little bit. Well, the first thing that is practical about this story when it comes to leadership is this. Leaders care for others out of the reservoir of care they've received from God. You see, most of the world would operate that I'm going to be nice to an employee because they were nice to me. I'm going to be good to my kids because they were good to me. I'm going to be good to my spouse because they were good to me. And Jesus radically changes the paradigm and says, you are no longer good and care for others based on that. Rather, you care for others because I cared for you. It is this gospel that now motivates us. We don't even have to be loved by anyone else to love the way he loved us because we know we are filled with this kind of care. And this is how love is done best. You know, it uh, reminds me of a couple other principles. I, I had some leadership quotes here. Um, one quote is this, is that you cannot be a truly effective leader, the kind that people want to follow unless you love. So you want to get this right. Or, or consider this from John Maxwell. People do not care about how much you know until they know how much you care. This is how essential love is as we deal with people. I remember when this worked in my own life. <clears throat> I remember one coach who I loved. It was JV year of football. Coach Booballs. And Coach Booballs would rail on me. And, and normally when people would rail on me, I would cave. I'd be like, please stop yelling at me. I can't handle it. I want to cry. Anyway, um, but Coach Booballs, he could get red in the face, yell my name, tell me to get in shape, all this kind of stuff, and I would take it. And you know why I could take it? Because Coach Booballs cared for me. And I knew it. it was evident. See, see, I remember this one game I had. He put me in as a tackle when usually I was a tight end. And I was a tackle playing JV football at like a buck fifty. Like, that's not a good poundage for tackle. Anyway, um, and it was a rough game. We won the game, but it was rough, and he knew it. And so after the game, Coach Booballs, who cares for me, who rides me hard but cares for me, he comes over, he takes me aside. I know it was a tough game, Dustin. But good job. Good job. That's a guy who can push me. Why? Because he cares for me. I know he could push me because he had me over to his house. He was a guy who let me into his life. I got to see where he lived. We had, we, we had a cookout together. This is a guy who cares for me, and so that kind of guy can push me. This is true with Jesus. Why are you and I safe to follow Jesus the rest of our lives? Why are we able to open our Bibles and come to church and say, Jesus, whatever you want, I want what you will, I will. Your kingdom, my kingdom, one and the same. Let's do it, Jesus. Why do we care about what he says? Because he cares for me. I'm safe to follow someone who has loved me more than anyone else has loved me. I'm safe to consider his directives are good if he showed how much his heart is big. This is the God who I can truly follow. And here's a principle for leadership. If you care, they'll follow. It's why I follow Jesus. I'm not sure why you follow him. In fact, I was listening to a sermon where this pastor, he got it really good. His name is Judas Smith. Judas Smith's a funny cat. You should listen to him. Anyway, um, he had this, um, he had this uh, great portion in his sermon um, where, where he asked the question, do you know what moved God to send his son? You know what moved God to send his son? God did. God moved God. 
right? And, and then he went to John 3.16, which you've ever heard, and he said, John 3.16, it doesn't go this way. It doesn't go the world so loved God that he sent his son, but how does it go? God so loved the world that he said, and so what I see so clearly is the only reason I love is because he loved me first. The only reason I moved is because he moved first. The only reason I am in him is because he came to me. And this is the reality of the gospel that now fuels me for every relationship I have. But there's more. And I want to kind of end, um, I'm landing the plane, so don't worry on Good Friday. And I don't see anyone sleeping, so that's really good. But anyway, um, <clears throat> how do we process pain? And I was thinking about pain, and I'm like, you know what would be really good? God, if you would just take all the pain away, then maybe I could be of good service to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I was thinking. I, I came upon a new principle. Like, maybe it is like healthy, pain-free people heal people, right? You know, and, and I was thinking like, so God, if you just want to take all the pain away and, and make me healthy, then I could heal people, and maybe that's how it works, right? Because hurt people hurt people, so then healthy people without problems, they heal people, and that's what I need, God. And God, and, and think about this amazing love. Like, what if he just took all our pain and problems away? Uh, maybe we could then go out and heal people, right? So maybe that should be our prayer. God, just take it all away so we can be the healers. Amen. Good Friday. But do you think that's where I ended my process and thinking, no, it's not, it's not, it's not. In fact, I, I then uh, I was informed by the great show called American Idol. Go with me here, I'm sorry. But anyway, it's the way my mind works. So I was watching American Idol with my wife, and uh, there was, uh, Sia was the guest star. And uh, I don't know why her name is Sia, because you can't see her, but anyway, um, her name's Sia. And uh, that's a bad joke, but thank you guys. Anyway, um, and, and we were looking at how she deals with the contestants. And both my wife and I made this observation that she was being very kind. And she was being very encouraging. And, and, and we were like, I wonder why she's so kind and encouraging to young stars who have a lot to learn. And then my wife made a brilliant observation. She did. She said, I bet she's so kind because she was hurt. I investigated her big idea. I looked into her story to the almighty Wikipedia, the source of truth. Wikipedia confirms she's had it tough. In 2007, she was in a loving relationship with someone, but he died in a fatal car crash. She didn't handle that so well. She dealt with addictions to drugs and to alcohol. She, she, she dealt with depression. She dealt with thoughts of suicide, going as far as writing a suicide note. And maybe with Sia, the reason that she, she, she heals people and encourages people is because she was hurt. If C is not your flavor, well then what about Abraham Lincoln? I came upon an interesting book about Abraham Lincoln, uh, published in 2007. Here it is. It says, Lincoln's Melancholy. Here's the subtitle. How Depression Challenged a President and Fueled His Greatness. In fact, many people think that if Lincoln was around today, he'd probably be unfit for office based on the severity of his depression. 
But he wasn't the only one. This author wasn't the only one to pick up on this premise that maybe depression was a good thing. There was another guy, a pastor, who picked up on this premise. I don't know if he studied Lincoln or whatnot, but he said this. Yet, ironically, many believe it that it was his melancholy that empowered him. Yes, empowered him to lead the United States during the dark years of the Civil War. And I'm leading to a principle, and maybe you're following with me. Why doesn't God take away our pain? Well, maybe it's that. It's leaders who are hurting still have the ability to heal by the grace of God. Maybe God is going to use the very thing that hurts you to compel you to help others because you know how bad it hurts and you don't want anyone to hurt that way. And if you can help that hurt, that's what you're going to do because of the hurt that's inside you. Maybe He doesn't use us in spite of our pain, but because of it, to put us on the track to help other people in this world. And and here I believe, if He asks you to do this, you have reached the upper echelon of leadership. If He asks you to do this, He is then giving you the opportunity to flip your pain and use it to good. And if He asks you to do this, He is finally calling you to the likeness of Himself who in the midst of his own cross could still say, I love you guys. I care for you. And I'm here for your healing. Let me pray for you. Close the prayer. Lord, let me so soak in your amazing love for me today. Thank you for caring for me when I could not care for you. Thank you for healing me though it was I who hurt you. Now empower and use me to be a healer for others, whether healthy or hurting or anywhere in between. Let me see in my care for others an opportunity to respond to the care you have shown me and continue to change this unfair world through the incredible unfairness that was your cross. Yes, hear it again. Continue to change this unfair world through the incredible unfairness that was your cross. In Jesus' name, Amen.